he said, no, go buy a single family home, start with that. And then from there, we can talk about duplexes and fourplexes. And how do you think I got these 10 to 15 different 50 unit apartment buildings? I started with a single family home. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities in order to qualify the sponsor in order to qualify the market that the property is in then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com my team and i created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask the things to think through prior to investing in deals So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. What's to say, Zach Evanish. How you doing, Zach? I'm good, Joe. How are you today? I am good as well and looking forward to this conversation and a little bit about Zach. He's the director of retail at Roofstock. He's been with Roofstock since the beginning and has worked in the real estate sector for most of his career, based in Oakland, California. So with that being said, Zach, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. Yeah. Like you said, I've been in real estate for actually almost two decades now. I got my real estate license my junior year in college, did my first deal in college. And since then, I've done everything from commercial appraisal to multifamily brokerage to running acquisitions for a real estate fund. And now I'm the director of retail sales at Roofstock. And my team and I are tasked with helping both buyers and sellers achieve their goals through our real estate marketplace. From your previous experience, what experience has helped you best with what you're doing now at Roofstock? Probably my time running acquisitions for a fund. So this was in 2010, 2011, Just after the crisis, we were buying foreclosures, renovating them and renting them out. And we're really a first group to raise private equity with the question of, can you buy homes in bulk and renovate them at scale? And then most importantly, can you manage them like a big apartment building? So I learned a lot of lessons kind of the hard way, but probably the best way just by boots on the ground and buying homes and making the mistakes of maybe buying in the wrong neighborhood or buying a home with small bedrooms and trying to rent it out like a full four bedroom, two bath home. So learned a lot of my lessons during that time when I was acquiring all the different foreclosures and short sales, renovating them and renting them out. Let's talk about that. So a couple things you mentioned, buying in the wrong neighborhood. Another is, I think you just said buying small bedrooms. Will you elaborate on that? Yeah. I think sometimes you'll see, say a, a three bedroom home and it's 900 square feet, and you say, wow, this looks like a good deal because it's priced appropriately. And then when you're comping it out with the rents, you just need to make sure you're comping it out with similarly small size three-bedroom homes. A bedroom is not necessarily just any room with a closet. A lot of these kind of older 1950s, 1960s homes will have some really small rooms that are basically just big closets. Mm-hmm. And your target renter is this family, maybe okay, but tough to hit too many people into those small bedrooms. So just make sure you're comping it appropriately. Okay. What are some other mistakes or lessons that were learned throughout the process of running acquisitions for the fund? 
Yeah, some other mistakes buying near a large industrial facility or buying near railroad tracks or going to a neighborhood at 10 in the morning and thinking, wow, this is a great neighborhood. It's quiet, it's peaceful, but without coming back on the weekend or at night to also see what that neighborhood is like. So making sure you're really getting a full kind of 365 view of a neighborhood you're buying in. And if you are buying a home, near industrial facility or across you from a gas station, again, just making sure you're factoring that in and using other comparables that are in similar situations. When you're buying in bulk, as I imagine you were buying, what, thousands of homes in certain transactions? Yeah, I think we bought at least several hundred home tapes from the banks back in 2011, 2012. Right. So when you mentioned the 10 a.m. tour of the neighborhood, I doubt you or team members, and maybe I'm wrong, but I doubt you all were going to tour each of the homes to make sure that the neighborhood was good. Is that accurate? Yeah, it is accurate. We would try to do our very best to understand what you're buying, but at that time, it was just difficult when you're buying that many in scale. So how do you mitigate as much risk as possible knowing that since you're buying in so much bulk, it's just virtually impossible to go do individual tours of neighborhoods on the night and the weekends? Yeah, at Roofstock, we have a data science team that is constantly pulling very granular neighborhood data. I think a lot of that wasn't around even five or six years ago. So I think using a combination of data to look at school scores, crime ratings, that type of thing, but also having boots on the ground, whether it's a local real estate agent, contractor, and then in the Roofstock case, most importantly, relying on third-party property managers who can really give you a feel for desirability of that property as a renter. And I know this is especially a challenge for investors who are out of state. And my first investment properties, actually every property I've purchased as a rental property has been in a city that I wasn't living in at the time. So that's even more important for remote investors. Are you seeing more investors buying rentals remotely versus when you first started with Roofstock? Roofstock, that's kind of been the theme all around. Really, our goal is to democratize real estate investing. And one of the things we are challenging when building this company is it doesn't necessarily make sense for people to only invest in their backyard. One, because if you live in San Francisco or LA or Seattle, you're just not getting any return on your investment if you're investing locally. But also you want some diversification. I live in San Francisco, but work in Oakland. So my primary residence, my job is all strongly correlated to tech. So it's nice to invest in places like Cincinnati and Cleveland and Atlanta, which maybe aren't strongly as correlated. So it's nice diversification. So I think throughout, we have seen people buying homes. On average, I think it's about 900 miles away from their primary residence. On average? Yes. Huh. Okay. That's interesting. What other trends are you seeing in the real estate market based on your team's access to the amount of data and the analysis that you all do? Yeah, I see a couple trends. One I'd see is kind of a flight to both tertiary markets. So the Austins, Nashvilles, Atlantas of the world, which have been some of the hottest markets over the last five or six years, price appreciation has outpaced rent growth. So you're not able to get the same type of return cash flow wise as you were five or six years ago. So there's definitely a flight towards secondary tertiary markets like a Huntsville, Alabama or Augusta, Georgia, 
places like that. And then secondly, this is correlated is just people going more towards kind of the 1,000 to 1,400 home rents versus either the lower price rents. I think a lot of investors start with lower price properties and then start to see some of the difficulties or management intensiveness of that type of property, or they're starting on the higher end properties, either as an accidental landlord or because that's all they had access to in their higher price market. So seeing a lot of people really focus on those tertiary markets, but also kind of middle of the road, 900 to 1300 or 1400 a month rent. What are the pros and cons on each of those three levels that you described below a thousand, thousand to 1400 and 1401 and above? Yeah, really good question. So if we start with that lower price property, the benefits are the cash flow. You can buy a $60,000, $70,000 home in a Midwest market, say a Cleveland and Milwaukee, and it's going to rent for $900 or $1,000. So your cash flow is going to be strong. They're generally a, a high supply of tenants that can afford that type of home. Some of the downsides are a little tougher to raise rents because the neighborhood you're buying in have a higher percentage of renters. So if you want to raise rents, one, your tenant is pretty price sensitive and maybe can't afford higher rents, but also they're going to look around that neighborhood and see seven other vacancies and go to one of those. So a little harder to raise rents. In that mid-tier, say 1000 to 1400 these are kind of a total return property, while the prior one was kind of a cash flow property. So total return, I think is great because you, again, have a pretty large tenant base. The properties are more in kind of the 80 to 120, 140 range. Some of the downsides are still a little bit older inventory, and you're probably not going to see a ton of appreciation. Obviously, that varies by market. And then the higher end homes, when say we get to 1400 above, but really when you get to 1800 or 2000, there's fewer renters. So home can stay vacant a little bit longer. But generally, those tenants are higher likelihood to go buy their primary residence. So that's some negatives there. But some positives is you're going to see generally higher appreciation because of these are going to be in more owner-occupied neighborhoods where you generally see strong school scores, really quality neighborhoods, quality amenities, and generally higher appreciation. And what if someone says, I want cash flow with a good total return Plus, I want a property that will appreciate over time. I want it all. I want it all, baby. Yes, as we all do. Um, (laughs) Generally, what we ask is, what is your primary objective? And how long is your time horizon? My parents have bought some properties through Roofstock using their retirement fund. So cash flow is a big objective for them. They're looking to replace an income. So they're focused more on the cash flow properties. Some of our younger investors, we have people who are 23, 24, who make great incomes in San Francisco who are buying investment properties. They have a very long-term time horizon. So I think they can buy those lower cash flow, higher appreciation properties that generally are just going to barely break even with 20 or 25% down. What's been some challenges that you've had in your position at Roofstock in terms of just either the objectives that you're looking to accomplish, you came across a couple challenges or maybe the type of deals that you all come across, maybe inventories lowered. What are a couple challenges? Yeah, I think similar to what a lot of investors are experiencing is just a supply constrained kind of real estate investor market right now. Part of that is just an uptick in the owner occupied market with interest rates being low. It's just harder and harder to find 
quality cash flowing inventory, which is again why we're starting to go to some of these secondary and tertiary markets. So I'd say our biggest pain point is just finding quality supply. Generally, marketplaces are tough because you're always balancing supply and demand. And we want to make sure as a curated marketplace, investors can buy with confidence. And a big part of that is making sure we have quality supply that's been rehabbed professionally with tenants that have been underwritten correctly. Because again, these investors are buying generally sight unseen from thousands of miles away. And so we really want to make sure they're buying a quality product. When you were talking about markets like Huntsville, Alabama, and Augusta, Georgia, what are the metrics that you all look at in order to qualify a market that puts it in that type of category versus a category like Austin, Texas, or Nashville? We really try to look at, as you had mentioned earlier, kind of the different investor types, kind of like someone who's focused on cash flow, total return, or an appreciation investor. And we want investors, as soon as they register on our site, we ask them some questions, we hop on a call with them and really help them come up with their hypothesis based on their goals, their time horizon, and hopefully help them fall into one of those buckets. And then once they've picked out their strategy, then we can help them connect with a market. Our data science team looks at things like net move-ins, job growth, overall market appreciation, rent growth, And then we look for pockets of neighborhoods where we say, hey, these still have solid prime scores and school scores, but also still offer quality cash flow. We don't want to help necessarily California investors buying overpriced properties in the Midwest. So we do a lot of diligence on the front end to make sure people are buying quality properties that are priced appropriately. And when you're looking at crime and school scores, are they relative to that market or to the U.S.? We have a neighborhood rating, which is a proprietary system at Roostock. Every property has a rating between one and five stars, and that has five different components, and we get down to the zip code plus two level. So that neighborhood rating will be for a subset of 500 homes. So we get pretty granular with that rating. What do you mean zip code plus two? So generally a zip code has five digits. Okay. But if you get to a zip code plus two level, It's just a way of looking at the city from a very granular level. And that's generally every 500 homes will fall into that. Oh, okay. There's a little factoid I didn't know. I always wonder what those extra numbers were after my five number zip code. I asked the same thing. Much smarter data science team was explaining to the sales guy. Did they roll their eyes? Yes. Uh, They did. (laughs) Oh, damn them. They shouldn't. That's a legitimate question. (laughs) Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Wow. Great question. The best advice ever. Get started sooner. My real estate mentor was actually a client of mine when I was about 27 selling apartment buildings. And I was actually selling one of his buildings and he said, what are you going to do with this commission check? And I was talking to him about cars and boats and (laughs) kind of ridiculous things. And he said, no, go buy a single family home, start with that. And then from there, we can talk about duplexes and fourplexes and How do you think I got these 10 to 15 different 50 unit apartment buildings? I started with a single family home. So kind of him giving me that look and kind of kicking the butt of, no, you're not going to go buy those things. You're going to go buy a single family home and then we're going to help you build your real estate portfolio. Did you? I don't think I did. You did it. (laughs) No, I did probably get a boat. No, no boat, but I don't (laughs) think I listened to that advice. I think 
I probably went back to him six months later after more handholding from him and bought my first investment property. <laughs> it, it takes me a couple of times hearing something before it sinks in, Joe. Hey, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Exactly right. What was that first property? It was a single family home in Northern California, in an area called Pittsburgh, which is kind of Contra Costa County of Northern California. I think I probably paid one thirty, one forty. I think it rented for a thousand or so. Mm-hmm. And you still own it? I do not. I've exchanged into that one into a, a fourplex that I now own in the Bay Area. Nice. What'd you sell that one for? Do you remember? I don't. Do you remember I what know. you sold your first house for? I don't remember. I, oh. I want to say it was three ten, three fifty, something like that. Okay. And then you exchanged that into a fourplex. Correct. Cool. And you still own the fourplex? I do. What are your plans for that? It's in a really good location in Oakland. So plan on probably holding that for quite a while. Oakland's one of those markets that's just been on fire lately. Potentially even a condo conversion play and be able to sell those units off individually. But that's one. The location is just so prime that I feel like the longer I hold it, it's just getting better and better. You going to do a cash out refi? I don't think so. I love paying down the mortgage and have very little debt on it right now. Most of my properties, I just continue to pay down. Mm -hmm. So you touched on your philosophy there, but we just elaborate a little bit more. I'd love to hear your thoughts because to school of thoughts, you cash out refinance, get the cash back, and then you got little or no money in the property. You don't cash flow nearly as much. It's not as safe. It's more aggressive but you can then take that money and go buy more property versus your approach, which is opposite. Will you just elaborate more on why you do that? Yeah, and I have done the cash out refi, kind of the burst strategy in a couple properties that I bought at a discount and bought them all cash and was able to pull that cash out. So if it's a property I buy with that strategy, I will do that. But what I don't do is every five or 10 years kind of go to the piggy bank and, and refinance that property. I do look at my strategy for that particular property and I have cash flow goals that I'm looking to achieve. And when I've run the numbers for most of my properties, it's just made more sense to hold on to them long term. So yeah, I guess that's kind of my strategy is if during acquisition I know this is a property I'm buying at a discount, but in order to get that deal, I need to buy it cash or go hard money or partner with someone, then as part of that acquisition strategy, I may do a refi after getting a tenant out or making repairs. But generally, my strategy is to hold on for long term on the properties. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Are you serious about taking the first step in the gateway to financial freedom? Then join Jake and Gino on a four-week course that will teach you how to become a multifamily real estate investor. Go to jakeandgino.com. That's J A. K-E-A-N-D-G-I-N-O dot com. Best ever book you've recently read? I just read Think and Grow Rich again. Best ever resource you go to to stay up to date with news about your industry or just to stay sharp professionally? 
John Burns reports for single family rentals. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Not getting a second opinion on a foundation issue. Please elaborate. So bought a property which it looked like there were cracks and I kind of had two differing opinions. One inspector said, no, it's just settling. You're fine. Another one said, I'm not sure. I think there could be a bigger issue here. I was under a timeline and it was an earlier purchase and kind of got pressured to remove my contingency and move forward. And 30 or 60 days after owning the property, started to see some additional cracks and turned out there was a pretty significant foundation issue that ended up costing me, I think, 15 or so thousand dollars. Best ever deal you've done? A deal I bought two years ago in Cleveland. I bought directly from a property manager and they had a tenant who was on a section eight and very motivated seller because of this tenant who hadn't paid rent. I was able to meet with the tenant, figure out a payment plan, and then work with them and also get that home rehabbed. I bought it for probably 55 or so percent of market value. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? A couple ways. Habitat for Humanity is also First Tee. I'm a big golfer, so I'm a coach for the First Tee program. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? You can email me directly, Z-A-C-H at roofstock.com. Before that, just go to Roofstock. It's free to register. You'll see all our different investment properties. We also have a product for accredited investors, new investors. We have a new real estate academy. So really, no matter where you're at in the real estate journey, we have something for you. Thanks so much for talking about some trends that you're seeing, talking about the different types of objectives that investors have and how you walk investors through the thought process for what makes the most sense based on those objectives, the type of property. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Joe. Appreciate it.